This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And so whether Israel liked it or not, they found themselves in a war with Amalek, and that's what made this war unavoidable. It was unavoidable, it was compelling, because if they wanted to escape from the war, they couldn't, they couldn't. Now, we can just imagine how when Amalek came there and fought with Israel, that Israel would say, who are these people? Who is this? And they said, well, it's Amalek. He says, Amalek, what's an Amalek? And the reply, and so that's the question that's on the table, who is Amalek? Well, who is Amalek? Okay, so we see Amalek first when he was born, in Genesis 36, 12. And Genesis 36, 12 explains to us that there was a concubine to Esau's son. There was a concubine named Timnah, and Esau's son was Eliphaz. And the, and the, the baby that came out of that union was Amalek. So essentially, Amalek is a descendant of Esau. When you see Amalek, cover him Esau, color him Esau. And who was Esau? Esau was a man of lust. He was a man of lust. He had no care for God. He had no interest in God. God was not in any of his thoughts. That was Esau. Esau was the firstborn of Isaac. And as the firstborn, he stood in line. He stood in line to carry on the spiritual leadership of the name of the family of Abraham and Isaac. That was going to be Esau. He was going to carry on the family name as followers of God. But Esau, the Messiah, was going to come through Esau. But all those benefits that Esau was in line for were not automatic. They were not automatic, why? Because Esau had a free will. Esau had a choice in this matter. And Esau exercised his will, and he made his choice, and his choice was, I don't want anything to do with God. I don't want anything to do with God. So Esau saw God as restricting in his life, as suffocating to his life. And inwardly, he had an opinion. Oh, he didn't voice it, but he had an opinion inside that he didn't want anything to do with his father's God. 
He had an opinion about being the firstborn to carry on the family name as followers of God, and there's just one word that describes what he thought about that, and it's given to us in Genesis 25, 34. Genesis 25, 34 says, Esau despised his birthright. He looked down on it. He said, ah, light a fire with that birthright, that's worthless. And he said, that's what he is, the idea of being the spiritual leader of the family, the idea of leading them on and continuing on with Isaac's devotion to God, no. Esau said no. And so when he was hungry, he says, I see more value in a bowl of soup than in my, my position as a spiritual leader in this family. And so he sells his birthright for a bowl of soup. Now, so Esau is very interesting for us because we have an Esau inside of each one of us. There's an Esau in us. And that Esau inside of us, that beast of Esau inside of us is called the flesh. It's called the flesh. This, our flesh, the flesh, that part in us that has no interest in God, that is the sworn enemy of God as Esau was, and that's what the flesh is inside of us. It's the sworn enemy of God, as it says in Romans 8, 7. Romans 8, 7 says, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. It's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Esau is a person who said, and our flesh is something inside of us that says, I want it, I want it now, I'm gonna get it now. That's Esau. Esau is, I want it now, and I'm gonna get it now, and that's the kind of person he was. He wanted that soup now, and he's willing to sell his birthright to get that soup, what he wanted now. And each one of us has a flesh inside of us. Each one of us has a little Esau inside of us that we're at war with. And David had a little Esau inside of him. David, King David had a flesh inside of him. He saw a beautiful woman washing herself, and the little Esau inside of David, that flesh inside of David said, I want Bathsheba now, and I don't care if she's another man's wife, I will have that man killed so that I can have that woman now. And when Esau yielded to this Esau, when Esau, when David yielded to this Esau inside of him, when David yielded to this fleshly nature inside of him, David took Bathsheba immediately and then later had her husband killed. And the flesh inside of David was at war with the spirit of David. So that when the prophet Nathan came to David and told him the story about a man who had many many, many lambs, and, but he went to a man who only had one lamb, and he took that man's lamb, killed that lamb. And when David heard that, David was outraged. He was just incensed. He said, that man's gotta be died. That man's gotta be killed. And then Nathan the prophet says, you're the man. You're the man. Thou art the man. What's he saying there? It's the Esau inside of you, David. It's you. Why was he so enraged? and outrage with himself because David's spirit was at war with David's flesh. David's spirit was at war with that little Esau inside, like you and I are. That little Esau that says, I want Bathsheba, I want her now. That was the prodigal son. The prodigal son, he said to his father, he says, I want the inheritance, I want it now. I've got places to go, I've got people to meet. This staying in this home is suffocating to me. It's restricting my life. I want to go out. And so he wanted to see the world. He wanted to, to get out of that suffocating environment of his home, of his godly home. So he went out. He wasted his money on prostitutes and riotous living. 
And that's what Amalek represents to us, our flesh, that part inside of us that doesn't want to submit to God, that will not live under God's laws, and the flesh inside of us is at war with us, and there's a constant battle going on, and we have to constantly kill this beast inside, and then the beast gets resurrected, he keeps on getting up again from the dead. So as Christians, we have three enemies. We have three enemies. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Now, the world and the devil are external to us. They're external to us, but the flesh is not. The flesh is internal to us. In that sense, the flesh is our greatest enemy. It's our greatest enemy. You know, it reminds me of this. I have this illustration thing I think about. You know, in Ethiopia, we have a 12-acre compound in, in Ethiopia, about two hours south of the capital, south of Addis. And um, it's a beautiful compound. I wish you all can go there. All right, so next Sunday, you'll, we'll meet there now. <laughs> and, uh, anyway, it's a very safe place. I tell them it's very safe. That's why we have a nine-foot-tall concrete wall about this th- thick in concrete with barbed wire at the top and four guard houses on the top and two machine guns and six bullets. But don't tell anybody we have six bullets. That's a secret. I shouldn't have told you that. But anyway, and 12-foot-tall gates. And one morning, one of our guards told us that robbers came in the night before, the last night, the night before, and stole our large electric generator, a generator of electricity. We said, really? We asked, how? How did they do that? I mean, we got the walls, we got the 12-foot gate, you are the guards. And they said, well, we fell asleep. They said, we fell asleep, and while we were asleep, they said, the robbers climbed over the wall. It's a nine-foot wall. It's got barbed wire on top. Over the wall and lifted our generator over the wall. The generator weighs over 1,000 pounds. Now, you've got to see the ladders that they use in Ethiopia. They don't have the ladders like we have at Home Depot here. They have ladders which are made out of eucalyptus branches. So this is a solid concrete wall. We got barbed wire on the top, and we asked, how are they able to carry the 1,000-pound generator over the wall? And they said, well, they did it with a ladder. They did it with a ladder. So then we called the police, and the police came, and the police asked the guards, where exactly on this wall did they do this? And so they showed him there, and, and sure enough, the, the dirt was all disturbed there. But then, you know, the police are smarter than the average bear, so then they, the police went over to the outside of the wall, you know, to the other side where the ladder had to be, and that ground was perfectly undisturbed. So, well, it's a miracle. You know, how could they do this? So what happened? Our guards were arrested, they were put in prison for three years, and that's why we don't have a large generator to power the property, and that's why we don't have those guards anymore in Ethiopia. Well, what happened? Well, it turns out, finally it came out, and it wasn't, you know, it didn't take an Einstein to figure this out, the guards opened the gate. The guards were tied in, and they opened the gate for the robbers to take the generator out. The flesh inside of us are those guards. The flesh inside of each one of us are those guards. It was the guards who opened up the gate to let the robbers come into the compound. The world and the devil comes up to the gates of our hearts, and it's the flesh that opens up the doors. And that's why the flesh is our greatest enemy, because it opens the doors and it lets in the world, it lets in the devil to come to us. The flesh is our Trojan horse. It's a Trojan horse. It allows the world, it allows the devil to come inside of us. And just think of how those robbers 
came up to the gate and yelled to the guards to let him in. So the guards were their bridgehead. The guards were their bridgehead to let those robbers come in. And the flesh is the bridgehead for the world and the devil. That's why we are at war with the flesh. That treacherous nature inside of us that's betraying us. And that's what Amalek represents in this history. And as soon as Israel had drunk of that spiritual water there and that symbolized the Lord Jesus Christ, then Amalek came and fought with Israel. That's the meaning behind the word then. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel. And as soon as a person receives the Lord Jesus Christ as a savior and he's on his way, like Israel was to the heavenly Canaan, the flesh comes like Amalek and fights with the Christian. It's a war with Amalek, it's unavoidable. It's unavoidable. No, in fact, no one can be a Christian without encountering this war with the flesh. As a matter of fact, if a person doesn't know anything about the battle with the flesh in his life, if a person doesn't feel like he's under attack from an internal enemy called the flesh, if a person doesn't feel the intensity of this battle with the flesh, something's deeply wrong. Something's seriously wrong. It's time for that person to question, am I really a Christian? Am I really a Christian? Because just as Amalek came and, had, and there was war with Amalek and it was unavoidable, so it is with the Christian that with the flesh will rise up and there will be war with the flesh in his life. That's why it says a bit in the Romans 8, 7, the carnal mind is enmity against God. It's not subject to the law of God and it can never be. War with Amalek was unavoidable. Now, when Moses saw that Amalek was come to fight with Israel, Moses didn't say to Joshua, just ignore them, they'll go away. Just pretend they don't exist. He didn't say to Joshua, run, <laughs> run Joshua, run. No, he commanded Joshua in verse nine, Moses said unto Joshua, choose out men, go out, fight with Amalek. And tomorrow I'll stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So he tells Joshua, stand and fight, stand and fight. I'm gonna go up to the top of the hill and the, the battle's gonna be down below. I'll have the rod of God in my hand. And so that means that Moses was telling Joshua, you need to take this battle seriously. And the same with us. We need to oppose the flesh within us, its yearnings. It says in Romans 8.13, Romans 8.13 says, if we live after the flesh, we will die. But if we through the spirit do mortify, do kill, the deeds of the flesh will live. And as many as by, are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And so this is what it means to be led by the Spirit of God. This is what it means to be the sons of God. It means to be sensitive to the evil inclinations inside of us, that Amalek, and to stand and fight against them. Don't satisfy the appetites, the evil appetites. And then we read what Joshua did. Joshua was great because he always responded like that to Moses, it says in verse 10, so Joshua did as Moses had said to him, and he fought with Amalek, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. He immediately flew into action. This is Joshua, this is Caleb, this is Joshua. There are people of immediacy. You remember that Joshua and Caleb were the two spies that represented the two tribes out of the 12, and all the 10 other spies, they came back, in, and when they went into the land later on, and they brought back an evil report, an evil report, when they said, well, it says in Numbers 13, Numbers 13, 26, it says, they went and came to Moses and Aaron to all the congregation of the children of Israel, wilderness of Paran. 
and they showed them the fruit of the land. That's the symbol for Israel is two, is two spies carrying the stick with the big cluster of grapes on it. They showed them the fruit of the land. They told them, they said, we came into the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land. The cities are walled. They're very great. Moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in that land in the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites the dwell in the mountains, the Canaanites, all these ites, these termites. And he says, and Caleb stilled the people before Moses. He stilled the people before Moses. And, and this is what he said. Let us go up at once and possess it. We are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, we were not able to go up against the people. They're stronger than we. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, and the whole congregation said, would God that we had died in the land of Egypt. Would God we had died in the wilderness. More of the same. But the point is about Joshua and Caleb is that these, these were men of immediacy. They said, we will immediately obey the Lord. So when, when Moses tells Joshua, go out, stand and fight, Joshua immediately does that. Now, you see what kind of a warfare Amalek waged against Israel when we saw in Deuteronomy 25, and that's why it's so important for us to look at that in Deuteronomy 25, 17, because it describes that, it says, remember what Amalek did unto thee by the way when you were come forth out of Egypt? They met you by the way and smote the hindmost of thee. Even all that were feeble and that were behind thee and they were faint and weary, they didn't fear God. This enraged God. It enraged him. This shows the military tactics of Amalek. And God wanted them never forget what they did to you militarily. Twice in this passage, God spoke about how Amalek met Israel by the way. So Amalek was sitting there watching Israel, and they attacked the Jewish people when they were on the road. They didn't attack them when they were settled in their camps. They didn't attack them when they were assembled for war. They didn't attack them in their cities, but they waited till they were on the way, and that's when they attacked. And they didn't attack Israel from the front or from the middle. They always attacked from the rear. Why the rear? Because that's where the weakest and the most feeble, I can't keep up the pace. I'm old. I can't walk like you. You're young. And they picked those members off. They killed those. Those are the ones that Amalek attacked. And God said they didn't fear God. They weren't afraid of what God was going to do. Amalek always came from behind, never face to face, and that's the reason why God told Israel, never forget that, how Amalek attacked you from the rear and attacked the most weary and the most faint in your group, the most vulnerable, and that's the reason why God says, I want them totally wiped out. And that's the reason why God said, in the end of this chapter in Exodus 17, 16, Exodus 17, 16, that he personally would have war with Amalek from generation to generation because of this tactic that Amalek used of attacking the weary and the faint, and that's the tactic of the flesh. The flesh always attacks when we are most weary, when we are faint, always from the rear. The enemy of the flesh is always attacking those who are the weakest in the church. You know, the backslidden, all of a sudden they stop coming to church, then they stop coming to the Bible study, they neglect their morning quiet times, they're not gathering man in the morning anymore, they're no longer in fellowship with Christians, why? Because Amalek is watching. 
The flesh is watching. It's watching for people at the end of the line who are neglecting, and that's where he attacks. And that shows how the war with Amalek was subtle, and it shows how the war with our flesh is subtle. It's not direct. Now we see how long this war lasted here. It lasted during the day. It lasted, as we see here, it says here in verse 12, Moses' hands were heavy, and they put a stone and put it under him. He sat there on an errand, and her stayed up his hands, the one on the one side, the other other side. Hands were steady. Until the going down of the sun, until the going down of the sun, Amalek fought with Israel until the sun went down. All day long, it was continuous. It, was, it went on and on, and that's what we find with our flesh. It is constantly against us, morning, noon, and night, continuously. And if a person thinks, oh, I finally got the victory over the flesh, and the flesh is not gonna attack me anymore, watch out, that's when they're in the greatest danger. Because the war with the flesh is continuous. And just as the war with Amalek was continuous all through the day, no retreat. And we're so tempted to forget that we have an unending, continuous battle with our flesh. And that's why God said, you need to write this in a book and rehearse it and don't ever forget it because it's symbolic of the war within us, the holy war against the flesh. And we should never forget we have an unending, continuous war with the flesh. And then in verse 16, I want to turn the air on a little bit. In verse 16, the Lord spoke about how long this war with Amalek's gonna last. He says the Lord has sworn he's gonna have war with Amalek from generation to generation. It's going on, it's gonna, so Joshua had war with Amalek. Saul had war with Amalek in 1 Samuel 15. David had war with Amalek in 1 Samuel 27 and 30. And you think the war with Amalek is done? Israel has war with the Palestinians who are Amalekites. Today, they're the descendants of Amalek. So the war with Amalek is unending, it's unending. And this shows our battle with the flesh is gonna never end. It's gonna continue all the way through life while we're down here on earth until one of two events happens, and that event is either Jesus comes or Jesus calls. That's gonna be what's gonna finally end uh, the war with the flesh. Now, all this talk about war with Amalek, it's kind of discouraging, and it's depressing. And that's why the last part is so good, because the war with Amalek was winnable. It was winnable, and that's great. And you know, I was just thinking, just thinking about that as I just said that, until Jesus comes or Jesus calls, calls us home. It's so easy for us to just think, well, you know, I've got so much time on earth, and you know, it's okay, I'll, you know, tomorrow will be another day. You know, this last week, Abel, who built this pulpit, Abel, his name is Abel, he's in Takati. Abel, who built those bookshelves, Abel, who built all of the carpentry work in the tabernacle, both here and in Takati. Friday night, he died suddenly of a heart attack. He was in his 50s. So, as I'm sitting here at the pulpit right now, I'm thinking about that, about how soon our life can just go like that. That's why it's so important for us to be engaged with the war with Amalek, to get the victory. Don't let Amalek overcome us. Don't let the flesh overcome. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. 
Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.